You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly every Monday and Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. On Instagram at the nosebleeds. And on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush, and I'm here with my co-host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, how are you doing? How was your weekend, man? Weekend was splendid. Uh, only thing I kind of feel bad about is the fact that I missed the Champions League final, but I, I, I knew I knew Byron was going to hold it down for me. I knew Byron was going to take care of things, and they did. But overall, man, nah, weekend was good. Weekend was dope. First day of school, back at the old college thing, you know. So, you know, things is moving back to the gridiron. So, you know. That's good. Well, things. make sure you're staying safe at school. Does everyone have to wear a mask over there or what? Oh, yeah. Everybody's got to wear a mask. It's mask up all day, every day on got campus. So. Well, stay safe for anyone that's going back to school, you know. Health comes first, then education. You know what I'm saying? So just be safe. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. But, yeah, with the with the sports, I miss the Champions League as well, too, because, I mean, there's just so much going on right now. I mean, the Clippers game was going on at the same time. The Angels game was going on. And the Champions League was going on. It's just like I only have so many screens to watch. <laughs> from. <laughs> so it was just it was rough. But I guess, I guess that's a good thing to complain about when there's too much sports. Um, Rather too much sports than no sports at all, because that was tragic. Yep. yep. Marble racing. Never forget. <laughs> Never well, forget. Let's start off with on this day, August 25th in 1978, the MLB baseball umpire stage a one-day strike. So basically, Major League umpires, they went on strike in August, attempting to get better benefits, and amateur officiating crews were bought, brought in to call 13 games but that was before a judge issued a formal restraining order, sending the disgruntled umpires back to work. So, I mean, I feel like it's a good time to talk about it because with this whole COVID thing, this season in baseball, we had 11 umpires who opted out this season. And umpires this season, I mean, every year they're under scrutiny, but this season I feel like they've been a little more under scrutiny from fans. It's just been bad calls regardless of – who's playing, who's umping, whatever it is. I mean, the other day we just saw Josh Stomach literally pitch a 100-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle of the strike zone, and it got called for a ball. So, I mean, there's been a lot of conspiracy theorists who are saying that maybe robot umps should be a thing in the MLB, get rid of the regular umps. I actually have a couple buddies who are umps, so I don't think they'd like to hear this. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, robot umps, that would – what are, you, what are your thoughts on them will be potentially moving to robot arms? I mean, it's a conversation that people have been having for a long time, not only just about MLB, but referees in general, but I guess more so with MLB because, um, you know, when you have such a, a, a game that's defined by inches and everything's so close that you want to make sure everything's, you get everything right because, 
for so long, there was no replay. There was no way you could challenge. I mean, we had a perfect game denied because the umpire called uh, the runner safe at first base when he was clearly out. And that that was history right there for, I think it was Armando uh, Galarraga, who had history right there taken away from him because of a very bad call from the umpire. And he never got that opportunity back. And it's like, damn. But, I mean. The only criticism I think a lot of people would have is I think it could potentially slow down the game more. Absolutely. Just because there'd have to be more reviews. I mean, I like the fact that they implemented the coach's challenge, and you've seen even more sports implementing the coach's challenge, like even the NBA. But I, I think, would you rather it be a short, concise game? Because MLB and baseball in general is a game that's scrutinized for how long it goes on for. Would you rather have it shortened, or would you rather have it a perfect game? I think one of the reasons why I guess it would be difficult to just fully make the transition over to robot umps is because I guess even though we criticize and even though we talk about how missed calls happen in baseball or, you know, in sports in general, it still adds another element that you have to deal with. Like we talk about all the time how teams have to game plan for their opponent, but sometimes you have to game plan for a referee like a Scott Foster. Or you have umpires like Angel Hernandez who are just blind at times and just just miss blatant calls. So, I mean, it is what it is. And I think that while, yes, I would be intrigued at the idea of having robots as umpires, I think part of me would miss, like, man, Angel Hernandez would have just called that a, a complete ball when it was right down the middle of the plate. Yeah. I mean... Maybe they could just do home plate umpires, have the other umpires still on the field, something like that. That'd be interesting if they were to implement that, like have like a robot calling balls and strikes. And I mean, what could you do if you're the player? Can you really argue it if it's like well, because like, even if like, you look at like even if you look at soccer or football, like the whole VAR being implemented, so many fans hate it because it you know, it just slows down the games and stops it abruptly too. So but all right, let's move on. Robot umps. You guys let us know on our social media whether you think the MLB should move to robot umps or not. But let's move on. We're going to start with the NBA. we got a whole lot of NBA to talk about. I mean, we talk about the NBA playoffs, but we also forget that there's 14 other teams that didn't make the playoffs. So let's talk about them because the NBA lottery just happened and there were some fireworks, some crazy, crazy fireworks. So we're going to start off with from the 14th pick all the way down to the uh, first pick in the upcoming draft, which is going to be in October. So the 14th pick, the 14th through the ninth pick went as they were supposed to go. Uh, there was no real changes over there. So the 14th pick is going to Boston. It's originally Memphis's pick, but it was a part of that Jeff Green trade back in 2015. So Boston now has that pick. 13th pick is going to New Orleans. 12th is Sacramento, 11th is San Antonio, 10th is Phoenix, 9th is Washington, and here's where the fireworks start. The 8th pick in the draft went to the New York Knicks. They were projected the 6th pick, and they dropped two spots to the 8th pick, and they were jumped basically by Chicago and Charlotte. So the Knicks are going to be the Knicks. That's all I got to say. Detroit, 
They were supposed to have the fifth pick, but it got jumped by Chicago and Charlotte, so they dropped two spots to the seventh. Atlanta was supposed to be the fourth pick, but they dropped two spots to the sixth because Chicago and uh, Charlotte jumped them. And then Cleveland was supposed to either get a first, second, or third pick in the draft. They had the equal percentages to get that first pick with the Golden State Warriors and the Minnesota Timberwolves. They dropped all the way to number five, um, again, jumped by Chicago and Charlotte. And then Chicago ended up with the fourth. They were supposed to have around the sixth or the seventh pick in the draft. They had an eight and a half percent chance to get the fourth pick. And they jumped all the way there. They jumped the Knicks. They jumped the Pistons. They jumped the Hawks. And they jumped the Cavs. And then you have Charlotte, who ended up with the third pick. They were supposed to have the seventh pick in the draft. Only a 6.7% chance at the third pick. Jumped the Bulls, the Knicks, the Pistons, the Hawks, and the Cavs. And then you have... The Golden State Warriors, who had the worst record in the league last season, had a 14% chance at the first pick. They ended up with the second pick, and they can do a lot of things with this pick, which we'll get into later on in the episode. And then Minnesota were the winners of the draft lottery, who ended up with the number one pick, who had a 14% chance at the first pick. So, Corey, I mean, everyone's saying that Minnesota's probably going to go Anthony Edwards, and I don't see why they wouldn't. What are your thoughts on this, uh, or what are your reactions on this NBA lottery? I just think that for a lot of people, I mean, and rightfully so, I think a lot of people feel like that the lottery is rigged and the lottery is like totally biased in a certain direction, but it's not biased in the direction that most people would probably think. Like a lot of people think like, oh, the NBA has a more of a a leaning towards like the bigger markets. Well, if you look at the past years of the teams that have gotten the top picks in the draft, um, it's more often been like these very, very small market teams. So uh, the fact that the Timberwolves got it doesn't really shock me all that much. What would have been quite interesting is if the Warriors would have got it, because you know, everybody would have been going out of their minds if the team that is coming off having such a crazy dynasty now all of a sudden they get the number one overall pick that they can just do whatever they decide with they could trade the pick away they could keep the draft you know whatever the case may be and they end up with a top two pick in the draft and i'm just like whoa that is big time for them but the knicks man knicks continue to just have that Nick curse on them. I don't know what it is about them, but it it just it. I, I think this is not as bad as last year because I feel like last year they they felt so confident they were getting Zion. They felt so confident they were getting that number one overall pick. Not even and they Zion. Not, when and they Zion get, comes, KD and Kyrie, and right, they go to the right. crosstown rivals. And they go to Brooklyn. And then also the fact that, that not only did they miss out on not getting the number one overall pick, they couldn't even get a number two overall pick. And they had to fall out and get a guy who many would even say is not even the third best player in the draft in RJ Barrett. So it's, it's wild, man. And I remember I was listening to some Knicks fans and they were talking about like, man, you watching the playoffs and you're looking at all the guys who could have potentially been a Nick looking at. I, I, Murray. I, I saw this. There was, well, not even who could have been, there's 20 former Knicks players that are in the playoffs right now. Let that sink in. 
20 former players that used to play on the Knicks are now on playoff teams. <laughs> that just, so I mean. Looking at Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and you're just thinking to yourself, like, man, could have been our RT. I know. <laughs> also, Kristaps Porzingis ain't doing too bad either. That's what I'm like, saying. Like, Kristaps, they have a Gallinari in there. Like, they have a bunch of people in there. Tyson Chandler's in there. So, I mean, the Knicks are going to be the Knicks. I mean, I, you got to feel for them. Like, the Lakers are complaining about how they had, what, eight years of not making the playoffs. And when you have the Knicks over here, which are like, hey, you guys at least made the playoffs. You have arguably the best player in the league. We We're still the goddamn Knicks. Excited for. We don't right. have anything excited. We're over, over here hoping that Kevin Knox turns into something. Right. Hoping that Frank Ninoclina finally turns the corner and becomes that point guard of the future. Well, I mean, the last time they had the eighth pick, they drafted frank nilakina so oh, it's i don't know if that oh, eighth man. spot is good for them i don't know but how about the hornets who funny enough finished i believe above the wizards in, yeah, the, in the standings and they jump up and get into the top four that is so funny to me yeah they, they got the number three pick oh my god and then the bulls man i just like the way that this whole lottery system it, it it works out. Now, some people will argue that uh, you know, we should have things the way of the NFL, but I feel like with the NBA, I think there's just way too much potential to tank mm-hmm. versus with the NFL. I I just think that while yes, the lottery is screwy, and while yes, the lottery is kind of wonky, at least it's not so heavily like oh if we had the worst record then boom we get the number one overall pick yeah do you know how much potential that like imagine if the warriors would have got the number one overall pick like everybody would i would have had to write a letter to adam yes, silver adam silver would have been getting so much not grief. only that but i would just been like dude if the warriors are there at least kick one of the teams out of the west to go to the east because <laughs> god damn the west is too stacked something but but overall i think the way that this is shaping yeah like you said I think it's looking as if anthony edwards is going to be the number one overall pick which is interesting enough to me because the way that this whole thing kind of started a little bit uh was back in i want to say maybe like march or so a lot of people were at first saying maybe james wiseman's looking like the number one overall pick and then a lot oh, of shift, a lot of shift came towards uh, Anthony Edwards sort of being that. And then obviously, like you just mentioned, Kush, LaMelo ball could potentially be the number one overall pick. And I think when you're looking at the way that this draft is kind of shaping out, I think one of the things that's going to be interesting is what does Minnesota do? Because I remember a few years ago, Nerlens Noel was looking like he was going to be dead set on being the number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. And then everybody gets shocked when Anthony Bennett gets his name called as Jesus the number Christ. one overall pick. And, sh- and that completely shocked everybody, left everybody's jaws on the floor. Giannis basically saved that draft from being one of the worst drafts in NBA history. And what's so funny is like, who at that time would have predicted that that young man would right. be where he is currently? Because well, who also I remember everybody be... was, couldn't even say his name right. They were like, yeah. 
how do you even say that? I remember when he when the Bucks had the old school jerseys and they had his name. He was playing the uh, the Lakers one time. I was like, yo, my man's name can't even fit on the jersey, bro. It's taking up half the back of the jersey. <laughs> I know. And now you have Shane Gillis Alexander, who's like totally about yeah. to have a name. He fall. said, "Hold my beer. Exactly. I got you." <laughs> exactly. But but nah, the crazy thing as- is, is the, like Lamelo Ball. It's gonna be so interesting because. Minnesota is not going to take him. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think, think so. Golden State is going to take him. Charlotte like maybe nah. at number yeah. three, but if he doesn't go Charlotte, you're looking at Chicago who has Kobe White, Cleveland who has Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Atlanta who has Trey Young. He drops all the way to seven potentially to Detroit. I mean, Detroit's not going to be complaining, but that'd just be crazy. A that guy of Lamelo Ball stature dropping all the way think- to seven. Do you think there's any way he falls to that number eight spot? And if you're the New York Knicks, who, for all intents and purposes, we laugh at the Knicks for you know all their uh, all the things that's going on with them and you know how they are essentially cursed, but they're changed up with the coaching staff. Tom Thibodeau's now coming in. They are changed up with the front office. They're you know trying to you know change things up a little bit. Obviously, obviously, Dolan is still there, but they're looking like they're trying to be on the up and up. I think it'd yeah, be a lose lose situation for New York because if you don't take him, Knicks fans are going to be mad. If you do take him, it's like you just drafted Frank Nilakina like a couple years ago, and then you traded for Dennis Smith Jr., who was drafted right after Frank Nilakina, so you could have had him too. And then you gave up Christoph Porzingis to get Dennis Smith Jr., and now you're bringing LaMelo Ball a third point guard. Like, what is going yeah. on? First, you're power forward heavy with 20 power forwards on the team. Now you're going to go point guard heavy with 20 point guards on the team. Hey, I mean, ironic enough, Minnesota tried to do it in one draft with Johnny Flynn and Ricky Rubio. Oh, my God. <laughs> but nah, but nah, I think if the New York Knicks went after, were able to somehow uh, find themselves in a position to draft LaMelo Ball, I think that's a tough spot to be in because. If you draft him, you already know Jersey's going to sell out. You already oh, yeah. given the fans a reason to at least tune in to check him out. And you're giving them some sort of hope. But at the same time, are you going to have to deal with that? Are you going to have to deal with big baller friend? Do you want to have to deal I with, think, you know, I think it's kind of dead. That's a, yeah. That's dead now. And that's a fair, that's a fair point. Cause I've been saying this, like everybody's talking about like, Oh, you're going to have to deal with his dad. But I'm like, he's, gone off the brand Lamelo and yeah. all the brothers are kind of moved away from the brand and kind of separated themselves from the brand uh I don't know what the obviously the relationship uh is like between them and the dad but overall I I don't think that's going to be as a big of a situation as it was when Lonzo got drafted to the Lakers because I think that if you draft Lamelo Ball everybody's talking about the downside that he has he's a six seven point guard a six foot seven point guard who sneaky athletic. He has the same ability as Lonzo as far as passing and playmaking. I think he shoots better than Lonzo. He has a better scoring ability than Lonzo. And then if his defense is anywhere close to Lonzo ball, you want to talk about drafting a, a prime time player right out of the gate, something to get Knicks fans excited about something that you can maybe, I don't want to say build your franchise around, but at least have a key piece. I don't think it's too much of a stretch. I don't think it's a stretch to say you could build around him. I don't think that's a stretch either. Cause I mean, like he's, and think about it. I mean, we talk for all this and we'll talk about this guy coming up next, 
But all this talk about how Luca is dominating the game, uh, LaMelo has been playing professional since he was in high school. So, I mean, you want to talk about, like, everybody's saying, like, so it's a long shot. I think if he gets drafted by a team like, you know, Charlotte or ATL, the bus potential is more higher because of the team he's on, because of the, 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 front, the organization that he's being put on. Because Charlotte, historically, with their draft picks, have been a miss more so than a hit. And then when you look at with ATL, like you said, I don't know how that would work with Trey Young, who's yeah, I don't a ball-dominant guy. And let's face it, he needs the ball in his hands in order to make something happen. I don't think I don't see them wanting to take the chance on that. So if he falls all the way down in that number eight spot, I mean, I don't think I don't think that's not too bad of a draft pick to get in the the mellow ball. I'd be surprised if the Pistons at seven don't draft him. So that'll be interesting. It definitely will. And then maybe do the Knicks maybe try to trade up to, to, to get in that mix. But then it's again, it's like, what do you have to really offer? Because you're Smith the junior, Frank Nilakina. Because <laughs> you're the Knicks. So we'll I mean, see. we'll see. We'll see. But overall, I think the, the exciting storylines about this draft is where will LaMelo Ball go? Who's going to be the number one overall pick? And what do the Warriors do with that number two overall draft pick? Because I mean, you could go Wiseman, you know, get another big body in there. You could trade the pick to try to get a potential superstar. A lot of rumors about what's going to happen with Giannis. So, I mean, and then, you know, you had Draymond Green talking about uh, Devin Booker needs to get the heck up out of Phoenix. So, I mean, it's a lot of crazy potential that could happen in this draft. And a lot of uh, stuff could happen going into next season uh, as a consequence. But we'll see, man. It should be interesting, though, for sure. Draft is always It will. It's just going to be weird if, for the draft being in October when that's normally when the season starts. Season starts yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but yeah, it it'll be, be interesting. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of our episode. We got the NBA playoffs. That's We're going to be talking about this almost every damn episode because it's the NBA and it's the playoffs. So, first things first, I mean, Kush, you have the floor. <laughs> me being a Clippers fan, Clippers and Mavs, I mean, reaction. I just I don't know where to start with this team right now. Sitting at two and two, should be sitting at three and one. I mean, you could look at it both ways because the referees this series and I think a lot of the series in the NBA have been awful. But yeah, Luca, I, I I criticize the Clippers a lot for what they do, and I feel like I haven't been giving Luca a lot of praise. But I think. It's just kind of a given because I've been giving him every even before the restart. I even told I said I told Corey I said this guy is arguably the face of the the NBA up up there with Giannis. And I think even Corey questioned me saying, "Do you think he's the face of the NBA?" And I think this goes to show that he is the face of the NBA. Like even if it's not in the future, it's now as well too. I mean, back to back triple doubles against a team that's supposedly supposed to be the best perimeter defending team, and to do it on a sprained ankle, drop a 40-point triple-double at the age of 21. Let that sink in. At the age of 21, carried this team without his second-best player. So, I mean, I just got a hats off to Luka. This kid is a superstar, face of the NBA. And, I mean, even though he's going up against my team, I can't it, – it's hard to root against him. He's just yeah, that Luka, good, and he's that likable too. Luka is is balling for sure. I, I The reason I was so hesitant – to give him, you know, the level of praise that my man Kush is giving him is so this simple fact. Hadn't seen it in the playoffs. 
the fact that he's going up against the number two seed, the LA Clippers that do have stars in Paul George, have stars in Kawhi Leonard, are one of the deepest teams in the league, have a very good defensive set team, and he's still out here dropping a triple-double like it's nothing, dropping 40 like it's nothing. Man had 70 points in his first two NBA playoff games combined. So Luka is for real. I will give, I will say that. And for all the people who, you know, like Montrez Harold or whoever that were doubting Luka, you can't doubt him no more. He, the man is cooking. He's in his bag for sure. He is for sure. And then, I mean, Montrez said some words to him and I think they squashed it out, but Man, the Lake, the Clippers just uh, know how to piss off the wrong people. It's pissing off Damian Lillard, now pissing off Luka, now they're just going off. But one person I think they really need to piss off to make them go off is Playoff P, Pandemic P, Paul George, PG-13, whatever the hell you want to call him. But, I mean, at this rate, with he, he's, I think, going to build the Great Wall of China with the amount of bricks he's been putting up. It's uh, actually quite insane. And I know I sound a lot more timid than that's because I've had a couple days to think about it, but it's just like my initial reaction just is like, I was, I was backing you up saying that people need to stop calling you playoff P because you perform. And this is what you do to me. You literally shoot like shit. And like, dude, you just have to make one more basket and the Clippers win that game four. Like, I just don't understand how he's shooting up brick after brick after brick. Like, it makes no sense to me. Like, and then he wants to go on social media and he wants to be like, oh, don't worry about me. Like, why are you, why, why are you guys even thinking about me? Why am I running through your head? It's like, bro, you're corny as shit. Like, why are you even, like, worried about what fans or naysayers are saying about you? If anything, that should fuel your flame and let your game do the talking. So, like, get, get the hell off of social media. So... I don't have much to say about Paul George except that I am utterly disappointed in him and you that he has. Ooh, you were saying, like, I think Dame has more pressure. You were like, I think Paul George is going to come in because he's on a team like the Clippers. He's going to play. He can well, play I, will, I, I, I still stand by my point of Dame yeah, having yeah. more pressure. Oh, yeah. But I also just like me backing Paul George mm-hmm. up and for him to do this is just mm-hmm. absolutely insane. Like, I'm just speechless when it comes to, to Paul George. And then now I'm kind of done with the Paul George rant because he's just been <laughs> awful. And I, I accept it. Like all Laker fans are coming at me like, and rightfully so I I'm, I'm not mad at you, but boy, the par- person I'm probably pissed about the most is doc rivers. Doc rivers in my eyes is one of the most overrated coaches in the NBA. He won one championship with the Celtics. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. had a 500 record in NBA playoffs and I guess you can say like that's still decent because you're going up against the best of the best, which is not, which is not bad. I will agree to that. But ever since he's come to the Clippers, like my eyes have been on him the whole time. His rotations are shit. He doesn't know how to adjust at all. And I just watched his post game interview after game four. He takes no accountability, or if he does, it's very minute. He doesn't. He doesn't take any accountability for the players, or he doesn't hold any of the pa- players accountable. And he just kind of just shrugs it off and be like, "Oh, you know, we'll just we'll just you know go up to practice. Hopefully, this will be an eye opener." It's like, no, dude. Like, say some shit that's gonna get the pot stirring and light a fire under these guys' ass. Like Kawhi's doing everything and anything he can. Lou will 
is trying to do everything. Like I'm about to give that man all the lemon pepper wings, all the strippers <laughs> in the world he wants. Oh my god! Like he deserves yes. it. Yes. He deserves that shit. Oh yes. Paul George, on the other hand, has been called a bitch ass, you know what, by yeah. his ex girlfriend's husband. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh my god so it's just a shit show. And, and, and doc rivers like this literally reminds me of lob city blowing the 3-1 lead to the rockets doc rivers mm. doesn't know how to call timeouts he doesn't know how to adjust rotations i'm literally sitting at home on my couch i'm watching it with my cousin and i'm literally calling shit out that's gonna happen beforehand and i'm saying get reggie jackson the fuck off the floor because he cannot play defense and yeah. get someone even like a rodney magruder in who doesn't see the floor a lot but i know damn well i had trust him in playing defense and he even came out after game three and said i'm gonna try to limit the minutes between lou williams and reggie jackson on the floor at the same time because they are you know defensive liabilities Yet, lo and behold, with four minutes and 30 seconds left in the game, he has both of them out on the court. Bobby and Schmerder. and Reggie Jackson, Bobby freaking Schmerder Bobby Schmurda, <laughs> he's just throwing his hat up there, and he thinks he's on the Detroit Pistons, just ISO ball all the time because he doesn't have Kawhi or PG. But I'm, I'm going to give Reggie Jackson somewhat of slack because he made some clutch plays. But Doc Rivers, I just I don't understand. And I think this also goes to show that the Clippers' defense is not good and is absolute shit when Pat Bev is not playing. Mm. So when a lot of the Laker fans and a lot of NBA fans talk about how Pat Bev is all bark, no bite, this just kind of goes to show he's missed the last three games for the Clippers, and look what's happened. Mm. So if if Pat Bev's out there, we for sure win the last two games. Mm. So Hey, I mean, I think this series has been really hard fought. I think one of the things that I kind of – I felt like Luka was going to get them a game for sure. I felt like the Mavs were going to at least, you know, get one game. But I just didn't feel as if, uh, like you said, on the defensive end, the Clippers would struggle as much as they had. And I think one of the things that is very interesting as far as this series goes and the reason why I feel it's 2-2 is after, after the Clippers won that first game, the Mavericks – they didn't they didn't back down for the clippers and like and i'm and i'm just like speaking off of like the attitude that i've seen like every single time that morris or 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 harold like has stepped at like luca he never backed down for him he was like i'm ready for it i'm like he literally told montrez harold stop flopping big man. i was like yo i'm like yo i would at me at least I'm like I'm not coming at Montrez Harold or or Morris like that because them some goons right there. I'm like I'm not messing with either one of those cats. But Lucas like I don't care. I don't care, man. I'm out here. I'm trying to literally win. And he said in the post game, it's like they feel like they have the chance to win against anybody. And I feel like the Mavericks. Uh, one of the things you did highlight the coaching, Rick Carlisle. A lot of people sleep on dude, but. Rick Carlisle has, has been around this league. Rick Carlisle has won a championship. So, I mean, I feel like the coaching, if you gave me the option of, like, with Rick Carlisle or Doc Rivers, I probably would lean more towards uh, Rick Carlisle on that. on that, Because, like you said, I'm, I, I feel like Doc sometimes, he's a good guy that can manage the personalities, but I don't know if he knows how to coach like on said, the fly with, with, with the rotations and with the adjustments. And I think that's one of the things that you're seeing in this, especially with the bubble. One of the things, if you have never seen it or haven't really been keyed in on it with 
coaches making adjustments or teams making adjustments in previous playoff seasons, you have to be at least focused in on that with, with these playoffs. Because one of the things I'm seeing is like teams are having a hard time with making certain adjustments or responding. And even though like you're trying to change things up or you're trying to like, you know, focus in your game plan on one or two players or whatever the case may be. The thing that I just think that is so amazing is that I'm not saying KP is, 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 is been, has been bad for the Mavericks, but like you said, like without their second best player, Luca, I think is the only star that has won that, that can, that could potentially, like you said, win a game by himself. And it's ironic enough because we saw for how many years Dirk Nowitzki do that for, for, for the Mavericks. So, I mean, I think that it's really interesting with this Mavericks team that they're just, they're not going to go away and they're not going to back down, especially with it being two, two, because they feel right now it's zero, zero. And all they got to do is win two games and they're moving on. But I still think that even though things have not looked good for the Clippers. I think that they do get past the Mavericks, and I think that they do move on in this series. But, I mean, the thing is, is it's not a good look for the Clippers because they didn't expect to go this many games. They thought they can get more rest, especially with, you know, the Jazz and the, the Nuggets, which we'll get into in a bit. I mean, we all thought that series was going to go longer. But with the Clippers, I mean, right now, outside of Kawhi Leonard, it's really nobody's helping him out. I mean, we talked about, Paul George and the main thing that I was talking about defense is I see a lot is a lot of ball watching I don't know if Luca's mm. dribble moves are mesmerizing that much <laughs> but literally they leave that corner open so many times and shout out like you be talk about Luca shout out to Seth Curry and Trey Burke for coming off the bench and doing what they're Trey doing Burke, they, Trey Burke they, and, and Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean Trey Burke and Tim Hardaway Jr. have at times look like old Michigan Tim Hardaway and Trey Burke I mean like these mm-hmm. dudes is turning back the clock. Big Trey time. Burke, Trey Burke, and Seth Curry coming off the bench has literally outplayed the entire Clippers bench this entire series. And the Clippers are supposed to have the best bench in the NBA right now. And I think where also the Clippers are getting beat a lot is also on the rebounds. Nobody, literally, everyone's just watching. It's like watching an adult rec league. Everybody just watches the ball. Nobody puts a body on anyone, and they just see oh, Bobon seven four big ass just come over and just hit a fadeaway. And it's like oh yeah, Doc Rivers. Not even that. Let's let, let Doc Rivers. Let's put a six eight center, probably the smallest center in the NBA. Let's put him on the biggest center in the NBA in Bobon. So it's like, Bobon I just don't understand balling. some of the shit that goes on in Doc Rivers' head. But the Lakers need to get their shit together. Doc Rivers needs to f- light a fire under these guys' ass, whether yeah, the or even Pat sure. Bev or Montrez or Lou or Kawhi, because it's, it's just bad. It, it should not have come down to this, and this is not a knock against the Mavericks at all. Like, no. they're a great team. Because let's be honest, this is not your typical seventh-seeded team. No. So no. it's not a knock against them, but the Clippers just – Got to do better. I hold them to higher expectation. I think everybody in the NBA holds them to higher standard. So yeah, but it's interesting when you talk about like the whole like you know history of the Clippers with the whole three one situation against Houston. Um, I think the difference though is that in, instead of it just being uh, one guy who's had like you know that playoff experience in Chris Paul, and yeah, at the time you know you could say Blake Griffin. But I think when you have a guy who's won championships in Kawhi, 
and you've had a guy who has been to the Eastern Conference Championship with the Indiana Pacers in Paul George, and you had like you know several different guys who have at one place or another been deep in the playoffs before. I think especially at the head of the snake with Kawhi, he's just not he, he's just not gonna let them to to get knocked out. I don't and think like so. You said, either, I think but... the biggest worry, I think the biggest worry for the Clippers right now is just and how many games does this take? Does it take six or is it gonna take seven? Because if it takes seven, it's like dang, it took us seven games to take out the seventh seed, and it's like, and it don't get no easier. It gets harder. That's what I'm saying. So but the, like, the thing, the thing to your Kawhi point is, yes, he's not gonna do it, and I don't think we've had problems on the offensive end minus paul george it's been mostly on the defensive end he's one guy and literally they're exploiting the pick and roll and the switches and that's exactly that's literally all they did in the fourth quarter give luca the ball whoever red reggie jackson is guarding set him a pick get that switch <laughs> step back on reggie jackson reggie jackson will fall back like three steps and then you have a wide open three-pointer that's literally every play that they ran and they doc rivers just didn't <laughs> doc rivers just doesn't make an adjustment so it's it's oh it's, man it's flabbergasting that they did that, but it's two, two right now. They play tonight at six o'clock Pacific standard time. We'll see, uh, what, happens. We'll, we'll see what happens, but let's move on. We got probably the second bet, most intriguing series for oh, this, the nosebleed. This, this is the, this is the series right here for me. I've yeah. been having all eyes on this series, man. And that is the Rockets and the thunder. Uh, even after the Rockets went up two Oh, I mean, Corey stayed I was, humble. Um, I expected I hold on, hold on. I expected a text from Corey because for you guys that don't know, me and Corey have a $50 bet on this on who's gonna win. I have the Thunder, he has the Rockets. Rockets went up 2-0. I was actually kind of shitting the bricks because I was like, this team, I mean, the 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 Thunder just don't know how to adjust. And lo and behold, the Thunders come back and win two straight to even up the series. And Corey, I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts on this before I give mine. Okay, let me take you guys through what I was going through when after the Rockets won game one. Because after game one, I was like, dang, these fools are just lighting it up from three. And after game two, I was like, dang, they just light it up from three again. I was like, yo. And I'm like, Austin Rivers is putting up career highs. He's like putting on a show. I'm like, what is going on here? Did I not this, say Austin Rivers? I told you did, Austin Rivers would have did, to step up. <laughs> but the, the guy who at that point I was so impressed with, with uh was House. I was like, House and EG are are just dominating. That game one, that game one by Eric Gordon literally took on the role of Westbrook. Like he was attacking that Maybe. rim so hard and nobody could stop him. He was after, it was looking like some throwback clippers, Eric Gordon. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like EG was. He was putting it on them. And after they went up 2-0, I was literally just just going back and looking at everybody predicting the Thunder was going to win this series. And I was like, I mean, you guys really thought that the Thunder were going to win this series? I mean, come on now. But the thing that, uh, in talking to Westbrook, I was like, yo, like, no Westbrook, no worries. That's what I was trying to tell Kush, I was like, yo, they're up to O in the driver's seat. They can just chill. It's going to be, it, I was like, man, they're going to get this dub game three. It's going to be a wrap, smooth, easy sail. And then I'm like, yo, this game is, this game is, a, this is it's looking tough. And, but we, I expected this. I expected the Thunder to come back. Chris Paul wasn't going to just roll over. And then James Harden files out. 
And as soon as James Harden fouled out, I was like, well, if EG maybe like, you know, pulls something out, maybe House steps into it or somebody else takes over. I'm like, nah, nah. <laughs> CP3 was like, nah, bro. It's, it's about to be 2-1. And I was like, all right, cool. 2-1. Going to come back for game four and, and, and Rock is going to make it a 3-1 and it's about to be that. And I'm about to get this money. And I'm like, yo, the money was in my pocket, literally getting ready to count up the 50. And it's like somebody reached into my pocket and just yanked it out. He was and getting I'm ready like, for that uh, request on Venmo. He was about to say 50 like, bucks. Really to request. I was like, yo, I mean, hey, I mean, Houston, just, hey, the, rock, the I was like, I was getting ready to just hit up Kush and be like, hey, Thunder was a nice little regular season story, but it's the playoffs for a reason. These young cats just weren't ready. And for those first two games, Shea Gillis Alexander was looking like a deer in the headlights. He was looking scared, lost, whatever you want to call it. And this young team just, they just didn't know what to do, but they did a good job. And what, another thing about game two, James Harden was meh at best. And like you had everybody around him like stepping up and, and it just felt like, wow, this team is looking dangerous. But one of the things about the Rockets is that when the three is falling, they look deadly. When it's not, they look average at best. And I think that's what's kind of happening. And one of the things that I'm kind of worried about as far as a Houston perspective is, did they just fire off all their bullets in the chamber and now they just can't hit nothing? So I think it's, it's obviously a best out of three, first of two wins. And I think one of the, the things that D'Antoni and the Rockets kind of just need to key in on is what got you that 2-0 lead. And what got them that 2-0 lead was defense, getting stops, getting rebounds. The Rockets, even at one point, were out-rebounding the Thunder in game three. So they can rebound. They can get they can get rebounds. They can play solid defense. I think it's just a matter of are their shots falling? And that is a big what if when you're talking about NBA. If you can't put the ball in the hole and if you're not getting easy buckets, I think when they get more confidence in their shots is when they get buckets in transition so they need to force a lot more turnovers and get more transition points that'll obviously get their confidence flowing get them more um feeling good and then when they step into that shot they're going to step into it with some confidence and be able to hit but i think like um this all just can't be all about james harden it's going to have to be a team effort because if this is just strictly just the james harden show then oh yeah the thunder are going to definitely take this yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. This, the Rockets team, live and die by the three. And we saw the first two games, they were living by it. Second two games, they were dying by it. Even in the game four, like, I think they had a 12-point lead in the third quarter. Like, they were going off, mm-hmm. and they were making it. And then I literally turn away for, like, two minutes, and I look back, and all of a sudden, it's a two-point game. So, I mean, we talk about the Thunder. We talk about their big three te- uh, guard tandem in SGA, Chris Paul, and Dennis Schroeder. I think the main X factor in this series has been Lou Dort. Ever since he came back from injury, this guy has been doing an absolutely phenomenal job on guarding James Harden. And I think that's when your argument for Westbrook breaking this team, I think when Westbrook comes back, he's going to make this team because 
Billy Donovan is so focused on trying to stop the three ball that the paint is going to be wide open that Westbrook could have a field day in the paint. And I think that's definitely what we saw Westbrook start to do in the latter part of the regular season, which made him a lot more efficient and effective. And I think that's, that's going to be very tough for Billy Donovan to try game plan that this team can just literally jack up 58 three pointers that they just did in game four and can can make you pay or if that paint's wide open they go at it but back to Lou Dort man I mean this guy reminds me a lot and I think it's he's a rookie so it's 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 really hard to reach and say this but guy reminds me a lot of Tony Allen a lot of Tony Allen perimeter defensively wise and this guy can knock down the three and see the thing is watching him at Arizona State he was he reminded me a lot of John Wall the way he played. He was very strong point guard who would always take it to the rack, who could make the occasional three and had phenomenal defense. So I think just the fact that he knows who he's playing with, that he has Shea Gilds Alexander, the fact that he has CB3, Dennis Schroeder, Gallinari, the fact that he knows his role as a rookie and he does what he's asked, I think that just speaks volume to the type of player that he is. But I think he can also bring the ball up court. He can shoot the occasional three. He can create shots for himself. And this kid is going to be, I think, a star in the league. I would honestly, it's a stretch. And I would put him at maybe a top seven defender right now in the NBA. That's how great of a job he's done on James Harden. Now we'll, we'll see with Westbrook coming back, what Billy Donovan, what the matchup's going to be. I think they put him on Westbrook probably just because, Lou a little stronger. Yeah, the so athleticism, yeah. It will be more of a, a better matchup against Westbrook. But, man, which Lou Dort I has think been amazing. With, <laughs> it's too bad you can't clone him. Because, I mean, like you said, they've been able to key in on James Harden, and I think that was a big adjustment that Billy Donovan made. It was like, make somebody else besides James Harden beat us. And I think that's what we've seen the Lakers do with the, the Trailblazers. That's what we've seen uh, a lot of these teams do with uh teams that have like i guess you could say like their main guy so i mean i think with james harden you saw the frustration that he had at the end of the game knocking over the hand sanitizer i mean he was so upset <laughs> oh i gotta like, say i saw hold on so, i saw him so. i saw a meme online oh, yeah and i gotta say this was one of the greatest memes it said when he knocked over the hand sanitizer they were like i guess you can call it a pure l Yes. But yes. yes, absolutely. I was like, that was great. That was completely justified. But um one of the things that I'm gonna be really paying attention to in this game five coming up is who does Westbrook guard? What does he look like when he comes back? And will he be effective as far as opening things up? Because like you mentioned. One of his biggest strengths is that when he takes it to the hole, when he takes it to the rim, you have to. It's almost like a similar thing to LeBron. You have to pay attention to him. And so by paying attention to them, the defense is going to have to either collapse or if they just all like stay so conscious of the three, they're going to give him a wide open hole. So that is going to be a key thing and a key adjustment that the, the Thunder are going to have to either game plan for or they're going to have to make the adjustment in the next game. But overall, I think that that's going to add a different dynamic. The biggest worry that I have about Westbrook coming back, and I said it before, 
basketball IQ, that's the only thing that I'm worried about with him returning. But if he's able to add his high-flying athleticism along with that defensive tenacity and intensity, then the Rockets, they might have gotten that boost that they might be missing. and, And maybe that is able to just help them get over that hump. But on the same end, I feel like Westbrook is such an X factor that he could be the reason that the Thunder end up winning the series. That's how much of an X factor he is. And with his track record of not being able to get out of the first round, that that leads me to believe that's that's somewhat of a, 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 a hesitation for me to be excited for the Rockets and somewhat a big of a worry if you're James Harden and the Rockets. But you hope that he's able to bring, like I said, that defensive intensity and that athleticism to create more opportunities in scoring for the the offense. Yeah, for sure. And I think one thing I, I want to say is I would hate to be a referee in this series because you have two of the biggest floppers in the NBA in James Harden and Chris Paul. And I <laughs> crafty, crafty players. That's what the announcer was saying. The biggest crafty players in the NBA. They literally fouled each other and the refs didn't know what to do. Well, I, I think game four, especially this was probably one of the best ref games I saw just because there was a lot of blatant like contacts of players running into each other's, but it's like, that should be a no call and let the game go, go on. Cause we've seen in so many other games, there's been literally the rest being so whistle happy and calling a foul or some sort of uh, uh, penalty or, or, you know what I'm saying? Like every single possession is just bad. So I'm happy. Just, just let the kids play. I love saying just let the kids play. Let's move on. We got next series. Let's be through these ones. Uh, we got Lakers versus Blazers. Lakers, we got them leading the series 3-1, you know, on uh, Monday night. Lakers had to turn up for Mama Day. You know, they, they they won by 20 points, have a very commanding 3-1 lead against the Blazers. And Dame looks pretty banged up. I mean, he had the dislocated finger, and then he's getting an MRI on his knee. So, I mean, Dame's literally trying to hold it together for this Blazers team, but I mean it's kind of hard to do when I think playoff LeBron has been activated these last <laughs> two games for the for the Lakers. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's tough because the one-two punch of the Lakers is always going to be a problem. And I think the biggest criticism I had after the Lakers lost game one was the fact of Anthony Davis was Yes, he had, I think, like 28 points, but he shot eight for 24. So, I mean, I mean, he was repping for Kobe, right? You know, way before Mamba Day. Like, you know, he shot eight for 24, but that's not what you want to see out of your second best player. So the difference in these past uh, three games for the Lakers has been Anthony Davis has been the best player on the court. Um, I mean, yeah, LeBron has been LeBron, but for the most part, I expect LeBron to be LeBron. and I think also he had some criticism during game one because he was being a lot passive and he was trying to get his teammates involved. And at some point or another, you kind of have to look at the score and be like, okay, I can't, I want to get you involved. I want to get KCP. I want to get Danny green. I want to get you guys involved Kuzma, but I I, got to take over. I got to take over, but Nick Wright. And I give credit to Nick Wright for this because I did not think about this, but LeBron is not thinking about 
what it's going to take to beat the Blazers. He already knows like what's gonna, what's going to take to beat the Blazers. So I had no worries about the the Lakers beating the Blazers. I just knew that it would be a tough series. I thought that the Blazers would get maybe one more game, but it's probably looking like this series is going to end in five. But ultimately, LeBron knows that to win a championship, I'm going to need Danny Green. I'm going to need Caldwell Pope. I'm going to need Casey. I'm going to need uh, Kyle Kuzma to all step their game up. Because when we get into the later stages, when we play against, you know, either the Rockets or the Thunder, it's going to be tough. When we play against, uh, you know, potentially whoever in the Western Conference Finals, it's going to be tough. When we play against whoever comes out of the East in the Finals, it's going to be tough. And it can't be back to 2018, back to 2017, when it was just the LeBron show. And he literally carried the Cavs to the Finals. Because when you get to the finals and when <laughs> you're going up against a, a tough opponent, it can't all of a sudden be LeBron was carrying us here. Now, oh, where's my help? Because it's like, dude, you literally carried us here. It's like that was the game plan all along. So now it's like you're looking around for help. So Anthony Davis has to be a solid number two at times, you know, even in game two, everybody was talking about like, oh, LeBron, you know, had quiet numbers. but he really didn't have to do too much because the Lakers, everybody had stepped up around him. So he didn't have to do all that much. So he kind of just was like sit back and chilling, but games three games four, LeBron has been LeBron. So when you have that one, two punch of Anthony Davis and LeBron, arguably you could say that's the best tandem in the entire league. And it's going to be very, very difficult for anybody to stop that tandem. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's going to stop that tandem is, injury and we saw glass man anthony davis get pulled out game four with a back spasm so we'll see if he's active game he five also he took a crazy elbow from white side that was oh whoa. yeah Oof. that man took that elbow straight to the jaw yeah i mean but for the lakers right now you like they're, they're looking scary for sure and for all other western conference teams they're looking like they're the clear-cut favorites to come out especially with the clippers struggling right now as bad as they are they look like they're the favorites, not only just to win the Western Conference, but to win it all. So for for everybody else in the Western Conference and in the NBA, it's a scary sight to see LeBron kind of turning back the clock and <laughs> going to them old self and actually being aggressive. But I'll say this for Laker fans, though, like the the thing that you have to love is that the fact that LeBron is not putting on the cape and dragging your team across the finish line. You have Anthony Davis there. Utilize him. And he's doing that very, very well. And Anthony Davis is not settling for just taking three-point shots. From games two on, he's been establishing the inside game first, then going into the mid-range, then stepping outside for the three. And that's the exact formula that it should be. And it also, the Lakers are doing a good job of setting up their defense and using their transition offense to get easy buckets. So whenever they do that, one of the best transition teams in the league, one of the best defensive teams in the league, they're going to be very tough to beat. I think also if you're looking at it from a Lakers perspective, I think even if you want to sit out AD this game five or not, not even sit him out, but put him on a crazy minutes restriction because we all know Anthony Davis has a history of injuries and it's bad. And like you have – probably the best backups in big men in Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee utilize them. I think they'd play great with LeBron. Obviously they're not to AD's stature, but 
I mean, it's still not bad. And against a Trailblazer team that's hurting badly right now, I mean, you talk about McCollum with his back problems right now with Dame, his knee and his his finger. Like, I think, you know, take advantage of it. But from the Trailblazers' perspective, man, I mean, this team possibly could be blowing up this offseason. I won't be surprised. This is their third first-round exit in the past four years. And, I mean, I think they're at a real stalemate. So we'll see what yeah. happens with the Trailblazers. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. All right, moving on. We got the Jazz. I think surprising everyone in the league with a 3-1 lead against Nuggets right now. I mean, I'll say this. I'll say this. I said Donovan Mitchell was the best player in the, didn't I say that? I told I you told did. Kush I did say that on this podcast. I said Donovan Mitchell is the best player on the court. I know a lot of people might say Jokic or somebody else, but I'm like, yo, Donovan Mitchell is the best player in this series. And Donovan Mitchell has been playing like the best player in this series. 57 in the first game, even though they lost, and he's been dropping 40, 50 crazy numbers. Yeah. Spider's like, Spider's going off for sure. For but I think sure. not not only Spider, like we got to give a lot of credit to Jamal Murray. This Absolutely. guy is playing up the expectations of his contract extension. I know a lot of people were like, yo, what did, did he really do a lot to deserve that contract? And this guy is trying to put the nuggets on his back. It just doesn't seem like it's enough against Donovan Mitchell and this jazz team, even though they don't even have their second best score in Bogdanovich. So do you think that the jazz are legit or the nuggets are kind of phony and not the real thing. I think that it's a little bit of both. And what I, what I mean about that is, is like, I wouldn't say it's the nuggets are phony. I think that they're missing Harris and and Barton. I think if they had those two, as far as the fact that those guys are great defensively and they know how to hit shots, just the fact that you're missing that, that you could have maybe Barton or you could have Harris potentially guarding Mitchell and the fact that you don't have either of those two on the court, kind of hard. I'm not saying that they would just be locking up my man D. Mitchell, but they would probably add another angle to the series or add uh, another degree of difficulty than what the, the Nuggets currently have. Because I remember they, they had poor M- MPJ, poor Michael Porter Jr., rookie out here trying to guard my man D. Mitchell, and he's just licking his chops. like they're, Yeah, they're playing that whoever hurt. offense on him. Coming whoever offense work. He's like, whoever wants it can come get it. Paul Millsap, you too. I want that. He's still literally saying, I want that. So, I mean, like the Nuggets, man, I think it's a situation where they, they kind of, and even in game one, it was a shootout. And, and, and I think the, the thing that's been the difference maker is just the fact that I, I need to see a little bit more out of Jokic because Game one, I could say that Jokic outplayed Gobert, but for the rest of the way, I feel like Rudy Gobert has dominated Nikola Jokic. And we talked about, you know, him losing the weight and um, not being able to maybe bang down there. But so far, ever since he's been in the bubble, he just really hasn't looked like that same dominant level player that we've seen uh, have those comparisons to Larry Bird across the league that a lot of people have mentioned and a lot of people have, uh, you know, thrown out there, but overall, man, I think that that the jazz are showing you why they're one of the best defensive teams with, you know, a potential DP OY candidate in Rudy Gobert. And they also have Joe Ingles who 
slow as I don't know what, but somehow stays in front of his guy. Credit to him. And then the biggest difference also, Mike Conley Jr. came back when I thought that that man was going to at least be gone for half the series. Yeah, he came back a lot quicker than he I expected. A lot quicker than I expected. And as soon as he comes back, he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. It's time to hoop. Oh, yeah, I got you a cool 20. <laughs> a cool 20. And I'm just thinking like, yo, this Jazz team, man, like I doubted them. But overall, they're just showing me and the the stardom of Donovan Mitchell is just continuing to grow and grow and grow. And I got to give the kid credit where it's due. I said he was the best player in this series, and he's just gone off and shown, like, I'm, I'm not just the best player in this series, man. I'm trying to show you I'm one of the best players in this conference. So, I mean, mm-hmm. hey, kudos to him. Definitely getting some D-Wade vibes from Donovan For- Mitchell. Sure, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just a wonder of how far can he really take this team realistically? Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm I'm not just talking about for this season, I'm talking about for a future season. Like he's gonna need somebody to be, you know, a number two for him at some point. Well, I think I mean I'm not saying Bogdanovich is a number two, but I think with Bogdanovich, I mean that would have been, yeah, that it would have definitely good. been beneficial. That would have been huge. I but... would love to see the Nuggets to come back. I I mean, when when you're down three one, the odds are not in your favor at all. It's not. It's not impossible. We've seen that. We've yeah. seen that. It's not impossible. But I would so, love the series to go and continue. If the Nuggets could somehow win the next two games and force a game seven, I'd love to see it. It will be interesting. All right, let's move on to the Eastern Conference. We got the Celtics sweeping the Seventy Sixers. I mean, obviously, we, there's no Ben Simmons for this series, and. But most of these games were close, but down the stretch, we saw the Celtics pull away. But I think the big news from the series was Brett Brown being fired. We both said this on the podcast, even before the seeding games happened, the restart, we said, it doesn't happen this year. Brett Brown's for sure gone. Like, no if, ands, or but, he's gone. And you saw it. He's spent seven seasons with the Sixers, 39% win percentage. He went only 221 wins and 334 losses. So... Definitely. I mean, he w- he was obviously wasn't given the best teams either back in the quote unquote true. process days. True, true, true. Absolutely. But for what he's been given, I mean, hasn't really performed well with them. Uh, and then also, they're also the front office is being evaluated as well in Elton Brand's job as a GM. So, okay, look at this. Next year in 2020 and 2021. Tobias Harris will be making $34.5 million. Mm. Embiid will be making $29.5 million. Simmons <laughs> will be making almost $29 million. Horford will be making $27.5 million. And Josh Richardson will be making close to $11 million. So total those five guys, which is their, you could say their starting lineup, maybe. Well, maybe not Horford. He was coming off the bench later. But those five guys right there, it's $131.1 million into their salary cap. So... And here's my thing is like, you can't, I, I don't know how many, now I'm not going to say like nobody wants them, but how many teams are going to want to, if you try to trade them, want Al Horford on their team right now at his age for that contract. Mm. So it's like the flexibility that we talk about, like the Kansas city chiefs, not having a whole lot of flexibility. What flexibility does this team have going forward after you lose in the first round granted didn't have one of your best players i get that but after everything that you've kind of gone through uh this entire season and and to go out in a sweep 
that's tough. And and I feel like if the head coach is going to be fired, granted, yes, Elton Brand only been there a short period of time, not as long as Brett Brown. I think, yeah, he he his job is being evaluated for a reason. And I think that the the 76ers kind of have to think to themselves of where they want to go as far as who are we going to build this team around? Cause I've been saying it and there's no validity to this. I don't need a story. I don't need a reporter to come out and tell me I don't need shams. I don't need Woj. I legitimately don't think that Embiid and Simmons like playing with each other. I legitimately think that there is, I don't want to say beef there, but I feel as if animosity something is there, man. Cause even Jimmy Butler, when he got there, he didn't know whose team it was. Cause it's a situation almost similar to OKC where when KD got hurt, Russ went off. And when KD came back, he was like, yo, this is my team. And Russ is kind of like, are you sure about that, buddy? So <laughs> they just have to – somebody has to either be willing to accept the fact that, hey, this is your team. You got to step up. You got to be the guy. And, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take that back seat. But when you're looking at these two young budding stars in the NBA, who's going to have that humility to swallow their pride when both of them really <laughs> want to be franchise players? Okay, so here's, here's a question I have you. I, I do have a very hot take, which I want to get to, but I want to get your opinion first is if you're the Sixers and you're bringing in a new head coach, don't know who that's going to be, and if you change stuff up in the front office – are you holding on to this core team right now or are you trying to trade one of these guys and potentially be in that rebuilding, but still kind of buying in a weak Eastern conference into the playoffs? I think what's, what's going to be real tough is rolling the ball out next year with these same guys and a new coach and thinking that that's going to work. I think that's more tough than changing the head coach and trying to 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 maybe flip some of these uh, guys on this roster and maybe even Ben Simmons or Embiid into into trying to revolutionize this 76ers team. I think that we saw it with the Raptors back when they had DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. At some point or another, you have to just throw your hands up and admit this just doesn't work. And I think that this is the final nail in the coffin. Granted, yes, I know people will say Simmons wasn't there. Simmons wasn't there. But what do you think if Simmons was there, would they have been able to get past the Celtics? Well, I think the biggest thing, the reason why, yeah, I I mean, it's a very big. But how deep do you think that they would be going if they still have to compete against teams like the Raptors and if they even get past them the Bucks and I don't yeah. see them being better than either of those two teams. Well, I think the Sixers major flaw was their bench and it was always their bench and it's because of what I just said those five guys that I named are eating up 131 million dollars of their salary cap. So it's like when you have that problem, you can't afford to sign anyone who is decent off the bench. You're going to have to go with undrafted rookies you're gonna have to go with the g league guys that you're or guys that are on veteran minimums trying to chase a ring that you just hope will pan out but that just never did for the sixers my whole thing is and this is my hot take is if i'm the sixers i'm trading Embiid. between the two i'm trading joel Embiid. and don't be surprised 
I think the Warriors are going to try to go get him. And I think it's very, and very possible. And that's a smart move. And that's a smart move. Because if I, you're the Golden State Warriors right now, what do what does everybody always talk about the Warriors need? A big man, a big presence down low. Because when you have, like, Tremont Green playing on the perimeter and you can have Embiid down low, and he garners a double team, he can kick out to Curry or Klay Thompson for three. I'm like, yo. There's, there's a lot of question marks when it comes to this, though. First of all, Making the contracts match, which means obviously, they either have what, to that's trade. That's the biggest thing. So they have the number two pick, and that's why we were talking about earlier is the Warriors have ample ideas that they can do with this number two pick. They can either trade it or draft someone. I think they potentially trade it for Embiid. They would have to give up either Wiggins or Draymond Green, depending probably on who. Probably sacrifice Wiggins. Probably and they probably – well, that's if – the the Sixers want to take him if they want Draymond. I mean, I, think, I would I, think I would trade away it, Draymond because think about it, Eric Pascal, bro, he's not a bad player. Yeah, yeah he's not a bad player. And but, some people have said that he does mirror Draymond Green as far as his play and is a better shooter. Is, and it's a better shooter. So I mean, maybe you dump off Green and still unless keep unless player, I mean, you I are getting Joel Embiid, who is arguably the best center in the NBA. They might exactly, be asking so. for Eric Pascal too. I think they're going to ask for a couple shooters, maybe in Jordan Pool or something like that. Some, maybe ask for ask another for pick. Lot. They're going to ask for a lot. They are, and rightfully so. But bro, if I'm also the Sixers, I think this is a win for you because first of all, you get Joel Embiid off your books. Yes, it sucks, but this guy has been, has been so injury, injury prone. prone. Exactly. Like he's always, you can always pencil him in for missing at least 30 games a season. Mm. And when it comes to that, like. Even in the Celtic series, Celtic Sixer series, you saw him at the end of the game. This guy was yes. huffing and puffing yes. up and passed. down the court. Absolutely. And it's like, I said, this guy needs to lose at least 20, 30 pounds. He came into the league looking like Kevin Garnett, and now he's 280 pounds. Like, yeah. that just doesn't work. And granted, he uses his strength to his advantage. But when it comes to running up and down the court, like, and this guy's literally gassed, and that's why he is. This so ain't really a hot take, Kush. This ain't a hot take at all, Kush. This could really happen. This could potentially happen. Well, that's what, I'm, that's looking, what I'm saying. I, I mean, like, if, not if a lot of people at, are talking about it, which is why I call nobody's it a hot talking take. about this. You only get this first on the nosebleeds, by the way. <laughs> but nobody's talking about this and for good reason, because when you look at the fact that the Sixers have such a, you know, player and beat stature, but get swept by the Celtics in the first round, that. That's causal for, you know, at least at least Simmons can say like, "Hey, I never been swept up the first round, though." So, I think that, and I think I think if Embiid's gone as well too, maybe the Horford project could work with Horford and that would free that would free him up. So maybe maybe that could work. So I mean, depends what you want to do if you're Elton Brand or whoever takes over the front office. If that's the way the Sixers want to go, they bring in a new guy. You for sure can pencil that in potentially happening because if they if they get rid of Elton Brand, he might just want to blow. But not only that, like I mean, they bring in a different guy, they might just think think about this: the Sixers would also be getting possibly James Wiseman because I think that's who they draft with the number two pick. He's a guy who similar to Embiid Embiid with a lot less money on the books and at the same time you're also getting other role players whether it's Wiggins whether it's Draymond it doesn't have the injury history right so I mean even I mean and if you're looking from the Warriors perspective you're getting Embiid a guy who can stretch the floor who can always kick out of the post who can dominate that paint defensively and offensively Garner double teams gonna make things so much easier for Steph and Clay. even if he misses 20 to 30 games Regular season, you're not worried about. If Steph and Clay are healthy, they're getting you to the playoffs regardless. It's what he does in the postseason. And you can even, quote-unquote, load manage him in the regular season so he's good to go in the playoffs. And when you're in the playoffs, you just dominate. 
And it's going to be very interesting if you get that to potentially go down and beat on, on moving from east to west and the Warriors get that much better. It's going to be add another be dynamic into that. It's like, yo, it's crazy. Because I think if the whole because everyone always wants to talk about the Warriors and Giannis, but there is a high possibility that that doesn't happen. It's kind oh, of a stretch. It's more so a stretch than it is a reality. Absolutely. Exactly. And I, I think, think this Embiid thing is more reality a possibility. Than it is a stretch. Exactly. But, uh, so, but as far as the Celtics go, um, I think the biggest thing out of this whole thing is the loss of Gordon Hayward. Because if they would have had Gordon Hayward, I think that they maybe could have got a little bit deeper. I'm not saying, look, they were always a dark horse for me to potentially get to the finals. Um, but I just feel like it's going to be extremely difficult for them when they have to come up against their next matchup. Uh, so I, I, I just, I did, feel- yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I think their biggest thing is their interior defense. Daniel Thice is a very undersized guy, and and Bach is going to eat. Bach is going to eat. I mean, let's talk about them right now. The Raptors sweeping the Nets. They dropped. 150 points in game four with no overtime needed. And Ibaka was turning back the clock, 27 points, 14 rebounds. I think he missed only, what, like four shots, something like that. So, Serge Ibaka Yeah, big concern, though, Kyle Lowry, though, with the sprained ankle. So, yeah, I would say, like, as much as criticism I give Kyle Lowry in his postseasons, he's 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 the leader of this team. Not only that, but defensively, this guy led the league, I think, like, two or three years in the road, this guy has led the league in charges drawn. He and take, that's a very like, underrated game, bro. <laughs> right. So come on. That just, that, like, that's the most Kyle Lowry thing. Like if anyone were to do it in all-star game, it would be Kyle Lowry. <laughs> 100%. But yeah, I think that the Raptors, man, are going to give the Celtics some fits in the, in the next round. And I think like the, the, one of the things that I was impressed with, with uh, this Celtics 76ers series was just how, Jason Tatum showed you that he is a budding star as well. Similar to like mm-hmm. the whole Donovan Mitchell thing. It's like you would assume on paper 76ers Celtics and Bede's going to be the best player on the court. Jason Tatum was the best player in that series, <laughs> that entire series. He was doing it not just on the offensive end. He was doing it defensively too, which is an element that I'm starting to now see like, okay, he has that in his bag. He like that defense is starting to come in. And so, I think one of the things, like you said, is going to be difficult for them playing against the Raptors is can they match up as far as defensively against that team the mm-hmm. way they did against the 76ers? And I think that they're going to have a, a tougher issue because the Raptors can beat you in a multitude of ways. The 76ers only was mainly relying on Embiid and uh, him kicking out to open shooters. So it's going to be very difficult. And the 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 coaching of Brad Stevens is going to have to be on another level if he's going to have to have his team try to come anywhere close to defeating the defending champs. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I mean, between the Raptors and the Nets, I don't think there's really any much, anything to top. I'm just glad you didn't take that bet. That's because you were saying in five, right? You were saying Raptors. Oh, in five. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm so, glad I didn't take that bet either. Cause yeah, I was like, cause I was, I was minus one fifty. Of course, like it, it was so funny. Cause like in my original prediction, I had uh, the magic, taking one game off the Bucks, and I had the Raptors sweeping the Nets. But then I was like, eh, I'll just flip it. <laughs> but lo and behold. The, well, first of all, before we go into that, I want to talk the Raptors. I think, honestly, this is my favorite team coming out of the Eastern Conference. I think the way That's they're playing lately and 
and and I think this is the most consistent and cohesive unit in the NBA right now. Lakers are kind of giving them their run for the money with their last two games, but the Raptors are looking good. And I mean, like you said, there's three things in life that will always be true. That's death, taxes, and the magic winning game one of the round one. (laughs) Game game one only. (laughs) But I mean, the magic, we, we all saw it coming. The Bucks. I mean, the Bucks are up three one right now. But honestly, I'm still not convinced by the Bucks. The most most of these games have been close for most most of the time. And I mean, think about it. The Magic don't even have their best defender in Jonathan Isaac. They don't have their number two scorer in Aaron Gordon. So, I mean, I think more than what that says about how resilient and you know the magic are i think it says more about how the bucks are not the same team they were before this restart and chris middleton's been struggling lately in the playoffs and the bucks need him bad Giannis needed some bad but his buck team bucks team i mean when they go up against uh the, the team we're going to talk about next it's going to be interesting but what was your take on the bucks magic series so far uh, i guess my my thing that um i've been impressed with like you said was just how resilient I think that's one of the words that uh, a lot of people have been talking about with this Magic team. They've been very resilient, and they fought hard. Now, I don't think anybody expected them to beat the Bucks, but one of the things that I was, like I said, uh, that the potential of having was them taking a game off them, and convincingly they took that game off them. It wasn't even like it was a close game that game one. That game one was a was a was a straight blowout, and so. Yeah, the Bucks responded, and yes, Giannis responded, and he, he's played well throughout. But like I talked about with the Lakers, you need that number guy, you need that number two guy to be right there with you, or at least right hovering around there with you. Otherwise, it's just going to be way too much pressure on the shoulders of Giannis to have to literally drag this team to the finals. And by the time if they even get to the finals, Giannis is going to be so gassed and have to deal with both LeBron and AD and have really realistically an up and down Chris Middleton and pretty much a lot of guys who, you know, let's face it, are not the same. Uh, like you said, since this restart, that's going to be very difficult if Milwaukee eventually does get to the finals, which at, at this point I think is going to be tough, but I, I feel like they still have the potentiality to do it because Giannis is, uh, I feel like the best player in this conference but it's it's tough, man. It's tough if Milwaukee is going forward. If I'm opposing teams, I mean that's kind of dirty. You could think about it as a dirty way of playing. But if I'm going up against the Bucks, I'm doing anything and everything to get under Giannis's skin. Because for some reason, since his NBA restart, he's been target and he has not been backing down. He's been kind of snapping at other players, and it's caused for him to get technicals and ejections for headbutting people. So <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe get under his skin because. When Giannis is out, Middleton not there, it's kind of a win for you. Hey, and one of the teams that is definitely going to try to get under Giannis' skin is the Miami Heat. After yeah. what I saw them do to the Indiana Pacers, yeah, they just seem like one of those teams that would definitely do something like that, especially like a player like Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo or somebody like Jay that. Jay Crowder, too. Jay Crowder, too. Like, you got a but, lot of guys who would do something like that and yeah. try to get into Giannis's head, for sure. Well, let's talk about that series right now. Miami sweeping the Pacers. I mean, I didn't think this would happen, but I'm also 
like kind of not surprised, but same I kind of am surprised. Here, same here. Same here. Yeah. So I mean, it, it it's hard just because Indiana didn't have arguably their best offensive player in Demontis Sabonis. This would have been a completely different series if he was there, but. Without DeMontis bonus, I still think they would have at least taken the heat to six games. I didn't expect a sweep by any means, but now looking at their kind of their their lineups and with Oladipo still not being the Oladipo we once knew to be before his injury, Indiana really lacked that closer and that go-to score. We saw Malcolm Brogdon in game three, you know, put up the amount of points he did. I think he put up what, like 34.7 rebounds, something like that. So he was balling, but He's just not that guy who can go out there and just get you a bucket not like consistently. that. Nah, not, like not he's consistent. a three and D player and, a, and can play make to a certain extent as well. too. he's just not that guy who can go up and they had Jimmy Butler on him majority of the time. So, and I think they thought that closer and go-to score would be TJ Warren in lieu of what happened in the seeding games, but shout out to Eric Spolstra and this heat team for their game plan, literally throwing everyone at him. Cause I think, in the Eastern Conference, they probably have the best group of perimeter defender players. When you look at Jimmy Butler, you look at Jim, Jay Crowder, you look at the Solomon Hills. So, I mean, they, they have really I just, I just like the way defenders. that I just like the way that this Heat team have that 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 swagger about them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like this isn't like the Heat team of back in 2012 with LeBron, D Wade, and Chris Bosh. Like, this is a team of like this is a likable Heat team. <laughs> like, this is a team that's like, yo, we are. Like we were like everybody like may like this Heat team, but at the same time, like <laughs> you're not gonna like this Heat team if you're going up against them because right. they play physical, they play hard, they don't back down, they'll fight you, they'll do whatever they have mm-hmm. to do. Because I mean, Bam Adebayo, he literally, I would have loved to have seen him and Demontis Sabonis to have gone at it because that would have been, I, I think those two would have fought because I think the way that those two play so physical. Something could, something would have had to have gone down, but um, overall, he just dominated Miles Turner. He made him look like he wasn't even there sometimes. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Yo, God, Lee, can you do something?" To I'm stop I'm this telling game? you, man. I think Miles Turner needs a new, like, needs a change of scene. He something, needs, man. he needs something because well, I just Indiana, don't think, I think Indiana's needs something different. Well, too, I mean, they didn't have. Sabonis I think that's like a big thing of theirs like that's a 20 point guy they're missing right there and it's not like all these games were blowouts it may have looked like that in the box score towards the end of the game but they were somewhat close throughout the game but it's just like I said Indiana lacked that go-to closer that and and that's not a knock against the Heat team because this Heat team has been great but do you think that the Heat are legit contenders in the East, like because everyone wants to talk about the Bucks. Everybody talks about the Raptors. Not a lot of people talk about the Heat, but the Heat. Do you think they're legit contenders for the Eastern Conference? Well, I think in this up in this next series, the way that if they're if they're able to push Milwaukee uh, to at least like it has to be at least seven for me. If they, if they push Milwaukee to seven, and then yeah. I think that they would would show that they're, you know, the legitimate contenders. But I think the thing that they're missing is just that that one more guy. I know that they got the Dragon. I know that they got Jimmy Butler. I know that they got Bam, who was an all-star. But I feel like if they just had another another guy right there, 
like in another but the thing with them player. is they always had that role player who could pop off at any time you look at the Duncan oh, yeah. Robinsons, the Tyler oh, yeah. Heroes, the Kelly Olenix, Miles Leonard so absolutely the interesting they have depth, thing for they me, have depth. that's what's yeah. great about them the, the interesting think, thing like, for me is when they go up against the Bucks is what lineup are they going to roll out with because they're going to have Bam on Giannis and you're going to have Jimmy Butler on Middleton most likely or Jay Crowder on him Who's going to be guarding uh, Brooke Lopez? Are you going to run out Miles Leonard out there? Are you going to run out uh, Kelly Olynyk out there? So it's going to be interesting because they the, the the Heat I think are kind of the Rockets of the East with that small ball lineup. If you think about it, Bam's only six nine. He's not a legitimate. He, he plays no, big, no, no. but even every other guy around him is probably six seven and under. Mm-hmm. So they kind of run that small ball lineup as well. And they kind of have to for what you know their 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 roster is made up out of. But overall, I mean, this is a tough uh, sweep for Indiana. I mean, this is the they said this is this is the fifth consecutive playoff series that they have lost. Man, I mean, that's tough. And especially when you consider the fact that this is yet again another playoff series which uh, the Pacers have lost during the span where they were without their arguably their best player. So I mean, I don't know where they where they go forward after this but five consecutive sweeps or five yeah. consecutive play, uh first round exits is that's tough to swallow it's gonna be it's gonna need to be a change up i mean to their benefit they are in the eastern conference so they can you know contemplate going another year or so with this team running this team out but I mean, you see, you see what happened with the 76ers. They've tried this team over and over again, and they're finally starting to make moves. So maybe and Indiana's also, right on their tail, too, making moves. And then also, when you think about the fact that Brooklyn mm-hmm. next season is coming as well, you really don't have a whole lot of time to be, like, waiting around, just kind of just wait it out and just hope that things get better. It's like you kind of have to make a move or get lost in the background and kind of fall off to the rest of the dumpster fire of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, but yeah, second round set with the Raptors versus the Celtics. It's going to look like it's going to be Bucks versus uh, the Heat. The first round was very underwhelming, but I think the second round of the Eastern Conference playoff will make more than make up for it. I'm hoping so, at least with these uh, four teams in the Eastern Conference. Can't wait for the Raptors versus the Celtics. That is going to be very, very interesting because you have two coaches that are well known, uh, and you have teams that are very similar in play style. And I just can't wait to see like who gets the one up on who. I'm expecting it to be the Raptors, but I wouldn't sleep on the Celtics because I mean they got those young guns in Brown and uh, Tatum. Yeah, it'll be interesting. All right, let's move on. We got some NFL news, some big, big news. Um, Earl Thomas was released by the Ravens. Uh, kind of came as a surprise, but after hearing everything what happened, not so much. So uh, pretty much the Baltimore Ravens parted ways with their Pro Bowl safety, Earl Thomas, two days after an on-field altercation with teammate Chuck Clark. And Earl Thomas had just signed a four-year, $55 million deal with the Ravens with $32 million guaranteed last year in March. So he only played one season with the Ravens. And in his lone season, he tallied 49 tackles, two tackles for loss, two interceptions, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. And there was reported that oh, and Thomas... A block. And a block. You forgot that. You forgot he had that block for Derrick Henry. Oh, right, right, right. Lose block. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> So he was, he was, yeah, he's on that contract with the Ravens and a one game contract with the Titans. 
Yep. But yeah, it was reported that Earl Thomas had apparently punched Chuck Clark on Friday during practice. And he posted the video of the play that led to the punch. And uh, it was basically a video of Thomas and Clark in an altercation. And it was due to a blown coverage in practice. And Chuck Clark looked visibly frustrated and threw his helmet at the ground and is yelling at Earl Thomas. And that's kind of when the camera cut right there. But reportedly after that, uh, that's when Earl Thomas had punched Chuck Clark and uh, he later deleted this post. But this isn't the first time that Earl Thomas has had problems with the Ravens. Uh, Last year, he confronted Brandon Williams after a loss to the Cleveland Browns, which almost led to punches being thrown between them two. Apparently, he missed several meetings throughout the 17 months in Baltimore. And uh, we knew back in this past May, he had off the field issues with his wife when she caught him cheating and held him at gunpoint. So he's been really problematic for the Ravens. <laughs> Jesus, God almighty. Yeah. No, I, didn't yeah. Even, I didn't even hear nothing about that. I'm like, what the heck? Oh, yeah. You didn't hear about that? I didn't hear about that story until just now. Or, yeah, yeah, or, back or in maybe I did, and I put it in like the back burner of my mind. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, in May, his wife caught him and literally held him at gunpoint with a fully loaded gun. That's wild. Yeah, Fellas, come on. But uh, yeah, so he's pretty much been really problematic for the Ravens, both on and off the field, which led to him releasing him, even though it would give the Ravens a salary cap hit of 15 million dollars. So that's I mean, it. that's it's a lot crazy. of money to to your salary cap so to go he had to have really pissed off the ravens for them to want to cut him and especially a player of his calibers but what are your thoughts on him getting cut i mean it's a it's a big time decision to cut such a a player but if they feel like the ravens that is if they feel like you know he was too detrimental to the team then you know that those type of things i guess would be more crazy if like the nba did him like can you imagine if like like a star player got into it and then like the next day they were just like oh you're cut you're off the team like that'd be crazy well, i remember i remember there was a fight with i don't know if you remember nicola meritich and bobby portis yeah yeah they had a fight and i think both of them were suspended from practice for a while or something but they're both yeah, still but, remained on the team like, imagine they both just got cut like just yeah. right off the gate like I remember well, at Latrell's, the time, at the time, I, I don't Latrell, think uh, the Bulls could afford to cut those. Two oh guys. yeah, well yeah. But I remember Latrell Sprewell literally choked out his coach, and he was still on the team. Like yo, my man choked out a coach and was able to come back onto the team like nothing ever happened. And I'm like, that's the type of stuff. I'm like yo, uh, get him off the team. But yeah, you just don't. Only in the NFL can you get this level of. Uh, stuff and it's like yeah you gotta go even if it's a cap hit but but i think so to to your literal spree well point and all that i think there had to be some backstory to it in order not to cut of course there's of course there's backstory and i think the whole thing with my thought process with this cutting is looking at the video that he did post and the evidence we have so far i don't think that video enough was to release him even if he did throw a punch because if you look at the video chuck clark gets mad at him and like damn near throws his helmet at Earl Thomas's feet. And to be honest, if first of all, you shouldn't be getting that crazy in practice, like chill out <laughs> kind of a thing. <laughs> like if I'm Earl Thomas, I probably would have decked him too. be like, yo, chill the fuck out. Don't be throwing your helmet at me type of shit. Like I probably would have decked him too. But I think 
the biggest thing was him missing quote unquote several team meetings and walking out on team meetings and there's been multiple reports of that and then obviously with his off the field issue and I think a team like Baltimore they don't want to give anyone star treatment and especially mm-hmm. with Earl Thomas the, the season he was coming off of he didn't do anything special he if anything you could argue that he was overpaid he's he was an overpaid player and I think he made the Pro Bowl because of the defense around him and his name as well too so because because mm-hmm. to be honest this was probably one of Earl Thomas's uh weaker seasons in his career so that's why I'm not surprised that Baltimore did cut him so I, I think that that's the main reason why but to incur a $15 million salary cap hit, like that's that's a huge cap hit. And for them to just be like, yo, we don't care if we take on that cap hit, you're you're done. We've had enough of you. Mm, extremely. Uh that that seems like, you know, hey, that's the thing. That's the difference between NFL and NBA, man. When when the NFL are done with you, they're like, peace, see ya. Yeah. But I think the one of the intriguing things now is like a player of the level of Earl Thomas just became available and there's a lot of teams that use a safety yeah use use some upgrades well for the the, my first take my instant takeaway from earl thomas being cut is antonio brown Mm. my whole question with antonio brown and the ravens i think this just goes to show the ravens organization that they don't take shit so if antonio brown starts acting up snip snip you're off the team but I think it's now that they can definitely take a chance on a guy like Antonio Brown. That's very true. I think it and can that, definitely and, be a high risk or a high, high uh, reward, low risk. And like thing. you mentioned, you said like Earl Thomas wasn't like the be all end all for that defense. Like maybe if he was like, you know, the be all end all for that defense, maybe they kind of like, if he was mm-hmm. like playing like a Jamal Adams or something like that, or like, you know, dominating his position still and like playing like, the guy who he was like that was a part of that uh, Legion of Boom team. I think it's a little hard to just cut, cut that little yeah. Earl Thomas versus you know Earl Thomas where he is now in his career after injuries and all that type of stuff. You know maybe you can be able to say like and justify like okay he's not the same player that he once was. Yeah, we're just we'll just take the cap hit. But I think one of the biggest problems these past years that uh, has kind of stifled the Ravens from taking that next step has been not their defense, but more so their offense hasn't been, yeah. been able to. But to I would say their defense they, as well too. Cause if you look at the past year, I mean, against the chargers, you can say their offense, but that's, yeah, that was the one whole, thing. That was one of the games I was, just, that, that's the whole thing of the offensive coordinator and not trusting his quarterback, that whole thing. And then, you know, the second yeah. year was just, their their defense allowed too many points and then turnovers and it's just yeah come playoff time the ravens have definitely choked i'm not gonna beat around the bush but i think now you have a glaring hole at free safety now with earl thomas gone you have deshaun elliott who was their sixth round pick in 2018 out of texas so it's like do you move one of yours because they have a solid corner group with uh marlon humphrey marcus peters jimmy smith like do you move one of them to safety do you ride out with uh elliott what, what's the wasn't move? peters uh playing safety no, no, no. Marcus or... Peter was playing corner. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I thought yeah. he was. I thought he was playing safety at some point. Or I thought he was. No. Uh, okay. But yeah, I mean, a, a player of Earl Thomas, I don't see him being a free agent for a long time. So, where do you think Earl Thomas will end up, Corey? I think one of the the teams that obviously has to come up is Dallas because I feel like, uh, 
and I only say it just because like that was one of the teams that he he literally wanted to go to. He's he from he's from Texas. And he's from yeah, he's from Texas. So um He literally said Jason Garrett, come and get me. Coming Yeah, I'll never forget yeah. that. Dude really came up to the coach after the game and was like, yo, come get me, y'all. And they could use a safety. And they could. They could. They missed out on the Jamal Adams sweepstakes, so. That's true. I think the the big win, though, is like if the Eagles would have gotten Jamal Adams, then I think that the Cowboys would be probably already signed uh, Earl Thomas as soon as he got released right now. Right. They would have been like, yep, sign that dotted line right there, buddy. Jerry mm-hmm. Jones has got a contract for you. But since that didn't really end up happening, maybe a team that tries to maybe look for him is a team back in that good old NFC West, potentially. You're talking about the Seahawks? Nah, nah, not the Seahawks, but like maybe like a team like maybe the Rams maybe try to, but I don't really see them having like any cap space unless he wants to play for like the league minimum. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Well, see, I have two teams. Well, one of them has a cap problem, which is why I'm not going to go with them. One of them is... I mean, yeah, we all talk about the Dallas Cowboys from Texas. They need a safety. But I think I really like the Buccaneers. I think their biggest weakness on that team is their secondary. I think they have one of the worst secondaries in the league. And I think if they really want to compete for a Super Bowl title, I think that's going to be their Achilles heel, especially in a pass-heavy NFL that we have right now. But their only problem is they only have $1.7 million in cap room. I don't think Earl Thomas is going to want to sign anywhere close to that. He's going to want at least, I would say, six to seven mil a year because he's already getting a lot of that guaranteed money from the Ravens. So it's going to be interesting. But that's why, because of that cap hit, my team is one of this, the team you mentioned, the Philadelphia Eagles. Lost Malcolm Jenkins. They didn't get Jamal Adams. They need help in that secondary, especially the way the Cowboys bolstered up that offense, you know, getting C.D. Lamb. They still retain pretty much everyone on that offense. And, uh, I mean, if you don't get him, then potentially your division rival will. So it's a way, like in this way, you're not only getting better, but you're making sure your rival doesn't get better. Doesn't get better, yeah, yeah. So it's a win-win for you if you try to go out and sign a guy like him. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a a reasonable look at you, Kush. Kush has been on the ball here, man. I mean, with the 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 Embiid theory and now this, I think, hey, hey, watch <laughs> out. I wouldn't be shocked if that Embiid theory happens because there's been rumors in that front uh, about the front office not being really happy or all that satisfied with what they've seen out of Embiid and you know, maybe getting sick and tired of all the injuries that they've had to deal with. Now I it's up in the air or whether or not, you know, you're trading away the guy in Embiid. And I, again, I felt like it was going to be another Penny Hardaway issue. But as far as with this, though, staying with Earl Thomas, I, I just feel like the one question that you are, are going to have to ask if you're a team that's trying to sign him, is he worth all the distractions that he could potentially bring or all the, mm-hmm. the off-the-field issues that he might bring? Because if you look at the way it's ended with those last two teams – Seahawks flipping off Bad. the middle fingers yep. to the Seahawks sideline. Ravens punching a teammate. So, I mean, his resume is not looking too nice when yeah. it comes to, to, to teammate. On the positive side, he does have a Super Bowl ring under his <clears throat> belt. He does have that experience right. being a veteran and a leader. And still, like you said, you know, whether stats or numbers prove it or not, he was, you know, a part of the Pro Bowl last season. So, I mean, he, you know, he does have the resume to back up him justifying why he should get the numbers that he does 
when he does sign a contract. Right. I also think Pro Bowl's a popularity contest, but oh, that's, of course that's, we already that's know. Enough. We already yeah. know that. We already didn't know that, but you know, hey, it it, it does. People love to use. Oh, he's a Pro Bowler. That's a justification right. for. That's why. That's why when I like when I like talking about a lot of people and like talking about their resume, I use All Pro more than Pro Bowl. But obviously, if Pro Bowl is on there. I'm I have to mention it. If he's not All Pro, <laughs> he's a Pro Bowler. So, but yeah. All right, well, that's going to wrap up the episode. Appreciate you guys tuning in as always. Um, make sure you guys are following us on social media. The Nosebleeds, that's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. And uh, Twitter, at the underscore Nosebleeds. Instagram, the Nosebleeds. Facebook, the Nosebleeds podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Check us out there. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please shoot us a five-star rating. really helps us out. Write a review if you're feeling generous. You know, help the cause. Corey, any last words? Uh, also, don't forget, if you guys have any questions, you can DM us. Send us your questions. We will answer them when we get to them on an episode. Also, uh, make sure that you're tuning into the NBA playoffs because a lot of stuff is happening and I cannot wait. I'm also really, 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 really excited to see what happens with this upcoming NFL season because it seems like all systems are a go and we don't know Fingers what's crossed. happening. We don't know what's happening with college football. We don't know if we're going to get any college football, but the NFL is like, forget that. We're all ready, buddy. Yep, it will be interesting. But other than that, we out. Deuces. Deuces.